Welcome to Equipped, a podcast by Connection Church. Equipped is a conversation about multiplying gospel community and fueling spiritual growth. We have one clear goal, to equip leaders to multiply. We want to help people follow Jesus, make disciples, lead small groups, and plant churches. My name is Jordan Thigpen, and I'll be leading you through today's conversation. Let's get equipped. It's crucial, crucial to understand that it's not our pursuit of holiness that qualifies us to see the Lord. Rather, we are qualified to see the Lord by the Lord, not by good things we do. We cannot produce enough righteousness to impress God and gain admittance into heaven. That's a quote from a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by author Donald Whitney. Uh, it's a book that I read um, probably early in my uh, days of following Jesus. It's another one that was assigned uh, while I was in grad school and seminary. And uh, I, that is the topic of today's conversation. Uh, we're continuing our series of looking at God's better game plan. Uh, what I want to share with you through this is that um, discipline in following the Lord or the things that we do um, that are referred to as spiritual disciplines um, are also a part of God's better game plan. If you're just jumping in with us, um, we are exploring this idea on the podcast about um, life after learning about God's better story. Um, our lead pastor, Brandon, wrote a book um, called A Better Story, I'm talking about um, the better story that God had laid out for him, but also the, the better story that God has, um, has invited all of us to in the person of Christ um, through the gospel, that we would begin to see um, our lives through the lens of how God sees us, that we would see God through the lens of how he has revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus. Um, and what I observe a lot of times is that even in the midst of receiving the good news about that better story, is a lot of uncertainty about how to live uh, in light of the gospel and how to live in, in light of um, the fact that we still live in a broken and sinful world and we all experience things that are difficult and challenging. And so uh, this in this series, we've been exploring all of the things that go into God's better game plan. Um, and so for you, um, for me as followers of Jesus, I want to point us to the things that I think go into having a better game plan for what it means to follow Jesus. And um, inevitably, uh, some of those things are referred to as spiritual disciplines. And so um, Donald Whitney starts the book with a quote that I just read um, about spiritual disciplines are not about earning, um, earning a relationship with God. They're not about um, earning uh, his approval or his favor. Um, and so I want to read the the things that we're going to go over today. Um, when we think of spiritual disciplines, um, these are the things that typically make those things up. So number one, scripture. Number two, prayer. Number three, worship. Number four, evangelism. 
Number five, serving. Number six, stewardship. Number seven, I'm lumping four together, fasting, journaling, learning, and perseverance. And finally, number eight, silence and solitude. And so I want to go through real brief points for each of those. But before we get into that, I want to read this to you. The spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I shorten that. So that's a quote from the book. But the way I would shorten that down is what is the purpose of spiritual disciplines? What is the, the reason that I would invite you to partake in them? It's because spiritual disciplines promote spiritual growth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are, uh, uh, these are game plan activities, if you would, that are, have, that Christians have agreed on for a long time and mo- and all of them revealed actually in Scripture as pathways towards spiritual growth. Um, but I want to encourage you, this isn't growth for growth's sake. This isn't growth for the sake of approval of God. Um, and I want to go back to a conversation I was having with some leaders this past Sunday where we really began to identify the um, requirements of the gospel and the product of the gospel. If you were to ask yourself, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. It's this announcement from heaven through the lives of people um, that there has been a way made by God to re-enter into a relationship with him that all of our sin, all of our wickedness, all of our evil, all of our um all of uh, the things that keep us separated from God have been mended, have been uh, reconciled by faith and by repentance um, towards Christ, uh, towards the finished work of what Jesus has done on the cross. And that's a, a, a long, uh, clunky definition, uh, which I, I can shorten. But really, the point of the exercise is to get uh, to get it on the table Um of one, I'd be interested to see if you could uh, could do it much faster. Uh, this is always an exercise in, in, in when I sit down with leaders and, and sit down with uh, with every follower of Jesus is that uh, like a thirty second or a three a three or the a three sentence definition of what the gospel is can be um, can be a, a, a tough task for anyone. But it's the good news about the work of Christ. It is the message that we now proclaim to the world of how we can be forgiven of sin and be reconciled to God. And the gospel requires only two things. Um, We look at the book of Acts for this. We see Peter preach this first sermon after Pentecost, um, and they say, brother, what should we do? In light of these things that you're saying about who Jesus is and the fact that we crucified him anyway, and the fact that he has been raised to life, what should we do? Uh, And he says, repent and be baptized that times of refreshing may Come And the way that we have expressed that now, uh, the way that I, I would in, uh, encourage you to express that is by repentance and faith. Uh, repentance from meaning that you have confessed that you are a sinner, that you acknowledge that you have sinned, that you are somebody who has done, um, has done evil, that has done things that are wrong, that have done things that have hurt people. You've done things that hurt the heart of God uh, to acknowledge those things and acknowledge that you want to turn from those things and that uh, you know that you don't have the power to turn from those things. That's repentance. And then you're going to play, you're going to take a step of faith 
um, to say that the person who can fix that on my behalf, that has fixed that on my behalf, is Jesus. And I'm going to trust in him um, that he can produce the 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 finished saving work that I can't produce. I'm I'm placing faith that he can um, he can reconcile me um, back to a holy and perfect God. That's what that quote um, that we started the podcast with. It's crucial to understand that it's not our pursuit of holiness that qualifies us to see the Lord. Rather, we are qualified to see the Lord by the Lord, not by the good things we do. We cannot produce enough righteousness to impress God and gain admittance into heaven. The fact that we can't produce it means that we have to have faith in the one who can, and that person is Jesus. So that is uh, that is what the gospel requires. What the gospel produces is obedience. And that word is, is what I would very closely tie to our topic today of spiritual disciplines. Um, in, a, in a culture um, that values morality, here in the South and a culture that values um, religion here in the American South, um, that you earn social currency because you um, identify as a Christian uh, in a culture that rewards your even tepid participation in Christianity. um, It's easy to dismiss or to... Um, to look down on spiritual disciplines and, or frankly, to just be a non-participant in them um, because you would level the charge of legalism that, uh, well, I believe in Jesus um, and therefore um, I'm set, right? I'm good. I don't have any, I, I have no need to do anything further. Um, but what the gospel produces is obedience, and not um, not a not a a slave to a set of works, but um, a desire and a hunger to know the God that sets you free from a life of sin uh, and bondage. So we lean into the spiritual disciplines that, or these things that promote spiritual growth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are looking for a journey. We're looking for a set of rhythms, if you would. We're looking for a set of of activities that would help us to grow in our understanding and ability to interact with um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and for, I would say for for the person who's like my wife that has a testimony of basically having always um, walked with the Lord sometimes more seriously, sometimes less seriously, but always having understood herself as being on a journey with the Lord or a person like myself that had a, a moment where I repented from sin and placed faith in Jesus, that um, you and I have had more practice being a sinner than we have being a saint. Um, I'm going to say that again. You and I, no matter if you were saved at a young age or saved at a later stage in your life, we have had more practice being a sinner than a saint. Therefore, unless we practice those things that help us grow in being a saint, our life will always primarily be marked by the things that may have that have characterized us as a sinner. Pete Scazzaro says it this way, um, that Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. 
Um, and so we need these things, these spiritual disciplines, um, these things that help us grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I would say are scripture, prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, fasting, journaling, learning, perseverance, and silence, and solitude. We're going to go through each of those. Um, these are not invitations into boredom and drudgery. Um, these are invitations into activities that help you delight in the God that saved you. Uh, Donald Whitney uh, points out in the preface of the book that I'm, I've been quoting here, um, he points out that, um, that discipline without direction is drudgery. Uh, discipline without direction is drudgery. Um, what I would say, the direction that you and I are both headed as followers of Jesus is heaven. And the direction that we are preparing for and practicing for is for an eternal existence before a holy God. Um, I'll be perfectly honest with you, even in saying that, that still sounds a little boring. I'll confess that. I'll admit that. that because I can't conceptualize of what heaven is like. Where that becomes more practical and real for me is in the context of relationships. Um, when you can look at your son and your daughter, when you can look at your spouse, when you can look at your closest friends, your family, your parents, and you can realize that through your intimate relationship with God, through your walking with God, through your participation in these uh, disciplines that bring delight, you are connecting yourself to the values of heaven, and then you're able to manifest the presence of heaven in people's lives because you're able to, to guide conversation and relationship back into a place that it was as it was always meant to be. It's easy to, uh, to live in the dysfunction that we've always lived in as a sinner. Uh, it takes discipline to uh, continue to be sanctified into a saint that can bring the presence of heaven with us as we interact with the world. Um, and, I, and I think what I would say, too, is that as I go through these, um, realize that if you want more of the meat and potatoes behind it, you can pick up the book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines um, for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. Um, but that's the, that is what we're after today in this better game plan, is that we don't want to be stuck um, in a rut of always saying we are followers of Jesus with no idea of how to live as a follower of Jesus, we realize that God has a better game plan for us than to have left us in the dark um, of saying yes to Jesus with no clue how to live for Him. Um, but we we want to discipline our lives. And maybe a, a better word, if discipline just feels like too much like a cuss word to you, um, we want to structure and pattern our life as a follower of Jesus would. If that is the thing that holds the highest level of identity in our life, then we want to live as a person who identifies um, as a follower of Jesus. We want that to be the most true thing about us. At the end of your life, when you stand before God, what you're going to have wanted is for the most true thing about you to be that Jesus has secured an eternity for you. Um, not your ethnicity, not your nationality, not your um, cultural preferences, not your um, vocation, not your biggest and best hobby, the thing that you're going to want at the end of this very broken existence that you and I now live in. While it can be beautiful at times, 
This is a broken world that we live in. And the thing that we want as we prepare for an eternity spent before God, the most true thing about us, we want to, it, what, what we want is for the resurrection to have been true. And that we want our life to be marked by faith that God looks at and says, welcome into your inheritance, good and faithful servant. And the way that we pattern our life after that thing that Jesus has declared about us, the thing that he has secured for us, the way that we do that is by the spiritual disciplines, which I would say is God's better game plan for how we live. So how do we do that? So if we want to pursue these things, how do we do that? Number one, we want to uh, we want to engage with Scripture. As a pastor whose primary role is r- related to discipleship, what we call equipping uh, here in our church, I, I frequently hear, I just don't understand the Bible. I just can't find time to read the Bible um, when I do pick it up, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know where to start. Um, and all of those are completely valid, completely valid statements. I completely understand that. Uh, I completely understand that the demands of life um, can be many, that um, work can be demanding, that family dynamics can be demanding. Um, um, but how can we get the most out of our time in Scripture? I, Donald Whitney, but me in a very shortened version, um, <laughs> Donald Whitney, Jordan Thigpen, Michael Scott, Wayne Kretzky, for those of you who get that. Um, I'm not trying to do a, rust, a Russian nesting doll of quotes here. I'm just saying that uh, a few things that I agree with from the book um, that I would lay out um, with, as it relates to scriptures, you need time, a plan, and you need to meditate on what you read. A time, a plan, and to meditate on what you read. Um, what you're looking to do is to store the eternal truths of God in your heart. You're, and some people do that through memorization. Um, some people me- memorize things via uh, index cards and memorization cards and all these different things. And that's, that is a great way to do that. I, I personally do some of that, but I personally uh, try to spend time engaging with the word through a specific time with a clear plan. Um, if you don't have a specific time, look at your calendar. If you wanted to do this, you could go. You could go uh, straight hardcore with this. You could. What I would tell you to do is pick out one single day on your calendar. Look at your Monday. Delete everything that's on the calendar, and pick out which time is going to allow you best to spend time with God most consistently, without interruption, where you can clearly focus on Him uh, an amount of time that you is repeatable. <laughs> so you can't carve out an eight hour day of in the presence of the Lord always. We're going to get to that. You should do that sometimes. Um, but in a repeatable way, you should pick a day or sorry, you should pick a time during the day that you could do every day. Pick a time during the day that you can do every day. Um, I can answer a little bit of that for you. When it's dark outside. Um <laughs> In college, there was a time where you I could sit at the daily grind from 9 a.m. until 2 p.m., skip my 1 p.m. class, and roll straight into Connect Group at 5 p.m. or whatever. Like there was just unlimited time. But now as an adult, like get up early. Get up early for the sake of being with the Lord. I don't mean that in a heavy-handed way. I don't mean that in a hateful way. Um, if you're a night person and you want to read at night, I think there's some value in you treasuring up the, the word of the Lord in your heart. Um, as you go to sleep, um, don't fall into the habit of falling asleep while spending time with the Lord. 
Um, don't use don't use the Messiah as your melatonin. You know what I mean. Uh, you need to you need to be able to treasure and store up the Word of the Lord in your heart, and you do that by interacting with the divine text that He has given you. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, or 3.15, all scripture is God-breathed. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know the verse. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 2 Timothy 3.15, um, all scripture is God-breathed. Let me see if I can get there as I filibuster on the mic. Um, but it has, it ha- the way Paul, in reflecting and looking back on, um, on all that he had learned both as a as a Jew, but now as a follower of Jesus, um, he looks back and says, um, "All Scripture is inspired by God, or breathed out." Is theopneutos? Is the Greek is inspired? Is breathed out and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's an aspect of your involvement, your intake, your engagement with. You're meditating on scripture um, that is a part of you being equipped to be used by God here in the world. So you need a time and you need a plan. Um, I would point you to the 412 reading plan that we have, connection.church slash 412.pdf, or there's any number of fantastic reading plans uh, that exist. Um, But you need a time and you need a plan and you need to stick to that time. You need to stick to that plan. Um, And what I would say is as you engage uh, we we have a we have a, a Bible study a personal Bible study method called the DIY method. We're going to lean into that in 2024. I'm excited to share that with you coming up. But at its most basic level, wherever you are, whether you're at Connection Church or you're at some other church, during the time as you're working your plan, make sure you meditate on what you're taking in. Um, store the eternal truth of God in your heart as you t- bring it in from Scripture. And I would say it like this for my connection folks. We say this all the time. Listen to God and do what He says. That is also a great Bible study phrase to stick with you. Listen to God. Listen to God in the text. What is God saying in the text? What is He saying to the original audience? What is He saying to you? Through it, what is an explicit command that we are to follow in all places at all times? But what is the purpose of the story? What did the author intend for its audience to uh, engage with and do what he says? Listen to God and do what he says, not just in the text, but from the text. What is the Spirit of God beginning to um, reveal to you in your thoughts? What are have a notepad and pen nearby, jot stuff down of like, hey, God is if you're. It can be big stuff. It can be, God, I, I feel like what you're saying is really big. I need you to confirm that. God, I, I'm calling out to you, asking the Spirit of God, would you please move and tell me, is this what you want from me? Is Whatever it might be. Um, and so there's probably a place for a deeper dive into what that looks like. Um, but as you engage with Scripture in a specific time, repeatedly, following a specific plan, being faithful to that plan. And as you meditate on the truths that God reveals in the text and from the text, in meaning the Spirit should be speaking to you. The Spirit should be um, drawing your attention to things. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if you, if as you engage with the text that you rev- you learn new things or that you have a prompting from the Spirit to do certain things. But all of this is going to be in in 
in engagement with the scriptures, not in violation of the scriptures, and certainly not as you ignore the scriptures. Okay, so we want to we how do we um, promote spiritual growth in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Number one, through scripture. Number two, through prayer. Uh, I love the way Donald Whitney says this. Jesus expects that you are going to pray. Uh, Jesus expects that you will pray. Matthew chapter six, um, as he explains the Lord's prayer, he says, and as you pray, dot, dot, dot. And then he lays out the Lord's prayer. The expectation is that you are going to be, um, you are going to be um, praying. Um, Colossians two, um, let's see if I can flip there uh, real quick. Or Colossians 4, verse 2. Um, Colossians 4, verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, Pray without ceasing. That's the verse I'm sure that you and I have both heard many times. There's this expectation to prayer. But let me give you maybe something practical with that. Where? Where do I pray? Obviously, from... The point about scripture, you're going to do some of that alone. But I would tell you this: where where do I learn how to pray? Where do I where where promotes spiritual growth in the gospel of Jesus Christ by prayer? Where does that take place? Number one, in community. Listen to the language that people use about prayer. Listen to the language. Listen to how people pray. Listen to the person that prays out loud, very verbosely, and listen to the person that. Um, Praise very privately. Pray with a person one-on-one. Pray with people in your connect group. Listen as your pastors pray on Sunday um, and all the above. Listen to how your spouse prays. Listen to how your best friend prays. Learn how to pray in community. Where number two, through your own experience. Through your own experience of God answering prayer in your own life. What does God uh, reveal? What does God say? What does God, what does um what stands out to you in your prayer life from your own experience? As you are faithful and as you are diligent in working the plan at the same time that you do with Scripture and as you meditate on the Word, what do you experience? Number three, through Scripture. Learn to pray through Scripture. I think of Daniel chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 1, Matthew chapter 6, um, some of the great Christ hymns and Colossians. Um, there's lots of places where people break out in prayer that's recorded in Scripture. Go and look at those things if you're interested in, what should I say when I pray? Look at Scripture. It's a great place for it. Look at books. Grab books on prayer. Um, J.C. Ryle, I think of. I think of um, I think of Charles Spurgeon. I think of George Mueller. I think of, um, I think Seth Nowak told me about Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. That's another great resource. Grab resources and books on prayer that instruct you in prayer. Grab this chapter out of this Donald Whitney book. So grab a book on prayer that will help you. And I remember, frankly, my my the the one of the stories that is the most near and dear to my heart on prayer. When I began following Jesus, I was getting ready to go. Um, I think I can't remember if it was to an FCA leadership camp or if I was going on my first mission trip. But I grabbed Billy Shiver and I said, "Dude, I really." I really want to learn how to pray. I really feel like I need some help here. And he, uh, he, we went to his house, we knelt down, and we prayed together. And he just, that was it. It wasn't anything magical. It was kind of a feeling of like, 
well, that's, that's all you have to say. Um, because it's not, prayer is not performance before the Lord. Let me just say that to help. Maybe I just help set somebody free right there. Prayer is not a performance before the Lord. It is a calling out to a father that loves you. It is conversation. Now he is divine. He is other. He is righteous. He is holy. He is completely different than us. But because of the person of Jesus, he has invited us to him. And so it is conversation with a God that loved you. Um, the gospel um, is this, that that he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might could become the righteousness of God. He didn't, he, he was perfect in and of himself, but he became sin so that we, you and I might become the righteousness of God. Think about that, that he loves you. And so prayer is conversation with the God of the universe that loves you. It's not a performance um, that he's evaluating to see how holy you are. You are holy because of Christ. Um, and so prayer is praying out of that relationship, not to earn that relationship. Number three, worship. How do we gr- promote spiritual growth in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Through scripture, through prayer, through worship. Um, what God's word reminds us is that we worship in spirit and in truth. Um, some of you are going to major on truth. Some of you are going to major on spirit, but we need the spirit and truth. Um, the, the Bible is not in competition with the spirit. The spirit is not in competition with the Bible. They are the left and right hand of our spiritual growth. We need both, but we worship in spirit and in truth. But practically speaking for you and I, you need to learn to worship publicly. You need to worship privately. Um, from a, a textual, from a more biblical standpoint, um, that's the issue that's happening in Corinth with Paul's um, pushing back against the public speaking in tongues. Um, that is just, a, they're, they're getting public and private worship confused. They're wanting to bring private prayer practice into the public setting. Um, what you and I need to learn is to publicly worship the Lord with our brothers and sisters on Sunday morning. That typically looks like the singing of songs, that looks like the public reading of God's word. If you're at a more liturgical church, that's, or a church that does, um, well, I'm not gonna explain liturgical, um, that takes the Lord's Supper more frequently or takes it in a much more serious manner, um, um, meaning like a lot more ceremony around it. Um, uh, what else? Um, we often celebrate and worship through baptism. We do those frequently here, celebrating people's stories, people taking next steps. Um, Those are all aspects of worship, not just the singing. Uh, Prayer is an aspect of worship here for us on Sunday morning, hearing the preaching of God's word. Those are all public. The Sunday morning gathering is largely public worship, the singing of songs, the reminding ourselves of truths, but we also need private worship. Yes, that means following the Connection Music uh, Spotify page and listening to our music for sure. Uh, and singing songs that recount the truth of God's word um, and the the truths of what Jesus accomplished for us. We need the songs, but worship is also um, a, a heart of thanksgiving and appreciation for who God is. We need to learn to do that publicly. We need to do that privately. We need to balance those things out. That's a part of discipline. All right, number four, evangelism. Um, there is an, uh, there is a, a thread that is not just an assumption, it's a joy that we would be participating in the work of evangelism. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, some people feel like this is their spiritual gift and they need to be disciplined to use it. But for all Christians, evangelism is a spiritual discipline. Um, it is something that we count on the Spirit to give us the gift of the words to say in the times with which we have to share it. I hope I didn't make that wordy and confusing. For some of you, evangelism is your spiritual gift. I think of folks like Chris Miller. I think of Harold Wisner. I think of um, I think of Brandon Williams. Um, I think of uh, lots of people. There's lots of people that I've met that have the gift of evangelism. I think um, I think uh, Kate is a little bit like this. Kate has the gift of evangelism. This just uh, Buck Benton, who's one of our Connection Network pastors, has the gift of evangelism for sure. Like A.J. Wright, the student pastor at Connection Dublin, he just says the name Jesus and four students get saved. And that's his gift. He has the spiritual gift of evangelism. On the other, and what those people need to do is to be disciplined to use their spiritual gift and not neglect their gift. On the flip side, for all of us, whether it's your highest spiritual gift or whatever, we have to be disciplined to do the work of evangelism. And what we are counting on is not our own gifts or abilities. We are counting on the Spirit to do a mighty work as we are faithful to share. Don't think of this purely as a duty. Think of this as a delight. Um, for some people, this is going to be something that they do a lot more frequently than other people, but for all Christians, it's a non-negotiable, and it's not just a duty. It is a delight. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. There's somebody who's one of my lowest spiritual gifts is evangelism. Trust me. To be faithful and disciplined in sharing the gospel, um, it, not just in deed, in word, by verbally proclaiming, being a witness to the work of Christ um, to reconcile people who are far from God um, and the good news of the gospel, being a herald of that good news. Uh, maybe let me share a few ways that I do that practically. Um, there's a reason I try to lead a mission trip every year. It puts me, um, it puts me typically in an unreached people group declaring the good news of the gospel um, to people who are far from God. Um, there's a reason that I, I love to do premarital counseling and marriage counseling. Um, I'm typically, in, in even some of the people that, that I do it with are already Christians, but they're learning how to apply the gospel. So and even in there, I'm beginning to declare the gospel. Sometimes they're not followers of Jesus. And that's, um, that's a win for me to be able to do the work of evangelism. Um, pastoral calls, all those are ways that I put myself in a place to to do the work of evangelism um, without it being bullhorn evangelism, which I don't recommend any of you do. Um, I think that the gospel, inherent to the gospel is a relationship. Inherent to the gospel is a relationship. The reason Jesus died is to invite people in to, uh, into a relationship with God. And so bullhorn evangelism is antithetical to a relationship um, and so the work of evangelism is best done through relationships. Um, and so anyway, evangelism should be a delight. 
and should be something that we delight to do. But even still, understand that even if the person, if you share the gospel a hundred times and zero out of a hundred come to know the Lord, the delight is in what God is showing you as you proclaim the gospel. And you're also planting a seed that the Lord may water and it may uh, show forth fruit in a much later time. But you be faithful and delight in the fact that you're both honoring God and God is working through you as you do the work of evangelism. So that's the first four, scripture, prayer, worship, evangelism. Number five, serving. Uh, Number five, serving. Serving is indeed a spiritual discipline. It is something that serves the body of Christ. It also makes much of God. Listen to this quote from Donald Whitney on serving. When we are born again and our sins forgiven, the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience, according to to Hebrews 9, 14, in order for us to serve the living God. Every every believer's Bible exhorts him or her to serve the Lord with gladness. That's Psalm 100, verse 2. God's word has no place for spiritual unemployment or spiritual retirement or any other description of a professing Christian not serving God. Every believer, when born again, is to serve the living God. What I would say is the way that you are called to serve is in obedience, in gratitude, in humility, and love. That's what should characterize your serving. I'm not going to do the work of putting all those things into context for you, meaning of of how or where, in what way. I'm going to say, go back to Scripture, go back to prayer, go back to worship, have a consistent time and a consistent plan. And I believe that the Spirit of the living God will show you what is the correct context for you to begin to serve. Um, I think serving uh, is is one out of obedience, out of gratitude, out of humility, out of love. Um, for me, for example, a lo- several months ago, um, I felt the Spirit of the living God telling me it's time for you to serve in kids. Um I'm not super gifted with other people's kids. I love being a dad. Um, I work hard at trying to be a good dad, um, but I'm not a great babysitter. I'm not a great babysitter of my kids. I'm good when I'm being a dad. I'm not a great babysitter. Um, And if you don't understand what that's like, then you don't have young kids because young kids, there's sometimes that there's just, it just feels like babysitting. Um, or what I like to call behavioral refereeing. Um, I don't like that stuff. I'm not good at it. Um, if I am doing quality stuff and I'm being a dad, I'm good at it. Anyway, uh, serving in KK has not always been the thing that I'm the most excited to do. But I felt out of obedience and out of love for Olivia, what I heard was there is a need for people to serve in KK. Long before there was a push where you know 170 people signed up to serve in KK, um, I felt that pull much earlier in the year, and I just began to do it, um, began to try to, to serve. That was a time through my own time in Scripture, my own time in prayer, my own worship of the Lord. The Spirit of the living God said, this is the context by which I want you to serve. I want you to do it out of obedience. I want you to do it because you love Olivia and Ramsey and Tanya. But I, at, while you're in there, I want you to do it with gratitude and humility. Um, I think the Spirit of the living God will reveal the same thing to you. Um, number six, stewardship. Stewardship is a spiritual discipline. Stewardship is a spiritual discipline. 
we are we want to use both our time and our treasure to reflect our salvation. We want our time and our treasure to reflect our salvation. Using our time wisely is preparation for heaven. Donald Whitney points this out in the book. Um, using our time wisely, using our gifts, being disciplined with our time, being as fruitful as we can with our time, we are preparing for heaven. Using our money wisely reveals who we think it belongs to. Using our money wisely reveals who we think it belongs to. But time and money both are faith resources, but they're also faith hindrances. We can steward our time in such a way that we have no time for God. We can steward our money in such a way as if to believe that it all belongs to us and is, is none of it belongs to God. Um, God is worth more than a pitiful $20 in the offering bucket. Um, now, for some of you, 20 bucks is an act of faith. For, some, for many people in our church, 20 bucks is an act of faith. Um, that's, not, that's not poo-pooing $20. Um, in today's economy, it's about a half a gallon of gas. Uh, and so, um, but it is poo-pooing the pitiful $20. The, the, it's the pitiful part. It's the, it's the doing it because you have to, doing it because you think that um, it earns you something. Um, your stewardship, uh, your time and your money both belong to God. And he has the right to steward that to steward your money that you feel like belongs to you, your time, I think you get my point. What I would say is that those are spiritual disciplines that can promote spiritual growth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you would say, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I am worshiping the Lord. I'm gathering with the saints. I'm in community. Giving of your time and your resources may be the thing that you need to promote the spiritual breakthrough um, in the growth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not growth for your own blessing, not cultivating a spiritual breakthrough for your own blessing, but growth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stewardship can help with that. I'm going to point you to the book for fasting, journaling, learning, and perseverance, but those are also disciplines that Donald Whitney points out in the book. Um, but I'm going to finish this podcast with silence and solitude. Uh, I want to read you a quote from page 225 in the book. Donald Whitney says this, the discipline of silence is the voluntary and temporary ab abstention from speaking so that certain spiritual goals might be sought. Sometimes silence is observed in order to read the Bible, meditate on scripture, pray, journal, and so on. Solitude is the spiritual discipline of voluntarily and temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. Um, I love how Pete Scazzaro promotes and encourages each believer to spend a lot longer in silence and in solitude. I would say solitude should really be baked into the time and a place portion of reading scripture. Um, I think solitude and silence also allows you to meditate um, for you to really consider and think about um, what God is saying. I would also say that Christian silence and solitude is not the emptying of the mind, but the filling of the mind. You want to be filling your mind with the truths of God's word, and you want to be making your 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 um, thoughts um, directable by the Spirit of God. You want your mind to be in a place where you can hear God's voice and know that it's Him speaking. Um, I, I, for many of us, for me, 
especially for me. If no one else gets anything out of this, Jordan Thigpen, you need more time in silence and solitude. Um, you need more time. We need more time to be able to, as much as we're taking in through reading um, and as much as we're speaking through prayer, um, we need to listen to God's voice. We need to listen for Him to answer prayers. Silence and solitude is a step of faith. It's an act of faith that I believe that if I if I turn off my mouth and if I close my eyes from taking in more uh, through Scripture, that God is a living and active God and that He is going to speak to me through um, His Spirit. And so um, I think that's a better game plan for a better life. I really do that we would spend our lives in scripture, prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, and in times of silence and solitude. Um, yes, that is that does have a time commitment to it, but what I, I lay all this out because it is a better game plan than running the rat race of the American dream and, and stifling every aspect of God um, and um, it, experiencing... Um, stale breadcrumbs from the table of the American church when God invites us to an eternal feast that we could press into his spirit, that we could hear his voice, that we could meet with the truths that he has preserved from us from eternity, um, that we could walk with the living God, you and I today. Um, that's the better game plan for our life. Um, and that's what the spiritual disciplines invite us into.